Well, again, happy uh, Veterans Day weekend to uh, all gathered here who have served, and um, and congratulations to those who ran the uh, there was the Run for the Troops, great organization. We we love them. We love Bill. Uh, some of you ran in that race uh, this morning, so thanks for supporting veterans. At the core of our faith is is God, who came to this earth and said, "I didn't come here to uh, to be served, but to serve and to give my life." And when we, His followers, serve, uh, it reflects our Lord and His heart. So, um, thank you to those who have served to protect our freedoms. Freedom is our theme today. Jesus makes this amazing offer to to those He was talking to. He said. Uh, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amazing offer of freedom. Jesus went on to say, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is this amazing ultimate freedom that Jesus offers people. And so um, when he says, I can totally make you free, the reaction he gets, we would think, would be, Jesus, that's amazing. We want this freedom that only you can bring us. Show us this freedom. Bring us this freedom. No, what do they say? They say, no, thank you. We're all set. We don't need it. They couldn't hear what Jesus was saying. They couldn't understand what he was offering them. They misunderstood um, their need. And we want to make sure that we also don't misunderstand. We want to make sure we don't make the same mistake and misunderstand what Jesus is offering here. And it all hinged on the notion of what does it mean to be a child of Abraham and what does it mean to be a child of God. And so as we explore this, I want to um, cover a topic that I've been wanting to cover for, um, for a number of weeks now. I haven't had the chance to. So because in this, in this text... The question comes to us, you know, who is a child of Abraham and therefore an heir according to the promises God made to Abraham, including the promises of special land? And um, how Jesus answers this, um, you know, how he answers it and how the Bible describes this, we ask the question, how does that relate to the modern nation state of Israel and current fights over land? And so um, I think the Bible is going to give us perspective on some of current uh, world events, the question, you know, does Israel have a, currently have a covenantal right to land? And so I want to show you what the Bible says about that, and I want to give a New Testament Christian understanding of these things. And we're going to start with this text right here, John 8, and then I want to bring in a bunch of other texts. So um, what I share today, not every Christian will agree with, with all of this, but I, the te- I want to use a lot of scripture because I want to just show you how clear God's word is on this. This is not my opinion. I just want to share what God's word says. And so, and it's, some of it's going to be a little bit tangential to the text at hand, but Pastor Dan made me do it. Um, we said, because we heard some conversation in the church and that was uh, a little bit off, a little misunderstanding, the same misunderstanding that's in the text here. We said, well, well we need to teach. When are we going to teach about this? He said, well, you're preaching John 8, so you have to do it. So if I, say, if I say anything controversial or um, inflammatory, you can email dan.hainer at freechristian.org. And, and every time I preach controversial things, I, I encourage you to do that. <laughs> but this is, I mean, I, I'm just kidding, because Dan and I, we love each other, and, and it, this is worth our time and focus. I don't think you'll get bored, um, and I'll try to be as clear as I, I can be with this. But the, the bigger question at hand, this text is about freedom. How can we be free, and what, where, where does this freedom come from? That's our framing question, but let us pray. So, Father, we, want, we turn to your word. 
We submit ourselves to you and your word. We believe it is true. We believe that same truth can free us, that we can experience um, this amazing freedom that Jesus is offering here. I pray that we would receive it with hearts of faith today. So be our teacher in this time, and we do pray in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. So Jesus offering freedom, where does it come from? First, it comes from a vital connection to Jesus himself. Verse 31, Jesus says, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples, then you will know the truth. That truth will set you free. See, Jesus, who has truth, Jesus later says that he is the truth. The more that we follow Jesus and his teaching and his kingdom way, that we're going to know it, experience it, and live in freedom. Freedom from what? Verse 34, Jesus says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Primarily, it's a freedom from sin, which is basically at the core of our existence, we believe that all humans have strayed from God's way. And that's what we call sin. And that separates us from God. It creates a disconnection from God. And that is a, that tra- we're trapped in that. It's a form of slavery, Jesus says. But Jesus has the solution. Jesus is the solution. And Jesus provides what we need to be reconciled to God, to be forgiven of our sins. He takes the punishment of our sins on himself, on the cross. He gives us his righteousness. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are free from our sin. But not only are we free from sin, but as we are freed from our sin, the next verse, uh, uh, 35, we're free from other people. So... um, John 8, 35, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is saying that his status, as we are brought into his way and into his truth, that we become children of God, that we become uh, truly children of God, that we become uh, heirs with Christ, that um, we have a, a firm place of belonging. And we all need that. And we all want to fit in in life in different ways. And we, there's all these different places we seek to fit in and be accepted. In, in our families, in our careers, in our friend groups, or every, even in your church. In, in all of those, all those places you want to fit in have values and they have um, standards. And you try to live up to those standards and live out those values. And to the extent that you do that, you fit. You belong. If you fall short of those standards, you need to try harder to achieve them so that you're accepted you know, as a person in your career or in your family or whatever the, the friend group, whatever it is. So if you do live up to those standards, then you've got to work to maintain that status as fitting in. So you're always working. You're a, it, it, essentially, Jesus says you're a slave to those things where you're trying to fit in, you're trying to get approval in all these different places. But in all of those longings to fit in point us to the ultimate belonging that we can have, that we are united to Jesus and accepted by God, and we have a place. And if we, when we try to live up to God's standards, we'll never reach it. You could work as hard as you want. You'll never reach God's standard. So you don't deserve it, but by his grace, he gives it to you freely. He accepts you into his family. You have a status. You don't have to work for it. That is truly freeing. So we're, we're then we can root our identity in that status. In all these other places we try to fit in, we don't, you don't have to worry about that. You, don't, you can be free from other people, and really free from yourself. That, that your whole, you're, you're defining your life 
by your relationship to God. That's your primary identity. Therefore, it's not all about you. It's all about him. It's all about um, what he has accomplished, not what I have to accomplish. And that is amazing freedom. And there is such a, that's such a powerful aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we don't have to prove ourselves, that we are accepted and loved unconditionally by God. That is the good news. And that's where freedom comes from as we connect to Jesus and the truth of the good news. That's where it comes from. Second thing, this freedom does not come from Abraham. Look at verse 33. They answered Jesus. So he offers them freedom. This is their answer. We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we we need to be set free? We shall be set free. They thought they were were all set. Hey, we're, we're Abraham's descendants. God made promises to Abraham to bless him, to give him land, that all the world will be blessed through Abraham. We're his descendants. We're all set. And, um, and you know, we don't, we're not slaves. Well, and on the one hand, they were totally wrong. Abraham's descendants were absolutely slaves. Abraham's descendants were slaves in Egypt. For 400 years, they were slaves. They were, they were taken as exiles, captured as slaves, taken as exiles, the Babylonian exile, the Assyrian exile. And then in the day of Jesus, these very people he's talking to are living under Roman occupation, Roman laws, Roman taxes, Roman rule. They were not free. They were totally wrong on the one hand. On the other hand, yeah, God did make amazing covenant promises to this man named Abraham and to his offspring. And to say, hey, you know, we're all set because we are, you know, God's, we're Abraham's descendants and we've got all the promises. You know, they, in, in a sense, they really were a special and a chosen people. But what does Jesus say to them? He said, you're actually not descendants of Abraham. You're actually not Abraham's children. You're not truly Israel. So the question for us is, well, who is? So, so okay, so here's our long Tangent. Buckle up. Here we go. Let me define some terms here. So we have a man named Abraham who God made covenant promises to and to his offspring. So we have Abraham, his son Isaac, and his son Jacob, who is known as Israel. So collectively, uh, people who are descended from this family line are known as Israel, or they are sometimes called Jews because they were from the region of um, Judea, which was named after one of Israel's sons, Judah. So either Israel or, or Jews. Um, so these are people who are descended from this bloodline. It's an ethnic identity. But we need to remember, right from the beginning, it's, it's not just an ethnic identity, but it's also a spiritual identity. And it's always been God's desire that true Israel is not just simply re- people um, related by blood to Abraham. And then not all of Abraham's descendants are part of this blessing. Right from the beginning, Abraham had, had a son named Isaac, but he had a son named Ishmael. God's, the covenant blessings flowed through Isaac, not Ishmael. And then Isaac had sons. He had twin sons, Jacob and Esau, and the blessing flowed through Jacob, not Esau and his descendants. So the, the promise to Abraham, is, is, it gets narrowed down through the generations. And then we see through the Old Testament, we have people who, who are ethnically Jewish, but their hearts are far from God and they're cut off from the covenant blessings. And we've got all these non-Jewish people who by faith are included in the covenant blessings 
of the promises made to Abraham. It was a matter of heart. It was a matter of faith, not a matter of ethnicity. Then we get to the New Testament. And this is where it gets clearer, and and this is where it gets good. So in preparation for Jesus, we have John the Baptist. He comes on the scene, and he says this to, to these Jewish people before him, ethnically Jewish. Luke chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. He said, You want to claim status as children of Abraham? God can make a child of Abraham out of a rock. It's not about your, he says, it's not about your ethnic identity. It's about your heart. You need to repent, turn from your sinful way, and turn towards the kingdom of God, which is at hand. And, and then here in John chapter 8, Jesus says to these, to these people that true Israel is not about uh, being related by blood to Abraham, but being related by faith. He said, if you were really a child of Abraham, you would have faith like Abraham had faith. He said, but you don't have faith. Then in Romans chapter 2, this, the Apostle Paul writing, in Romans 2, he says, A person is not a Jew who is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. Circumcision is, not, uh, is a circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. It, it's, it's, it's about faith. It, it's a heart condition. So then the question is, well, who is who is the true Israel of God? And I got two long passages, two longer passages I want to share with you because I want to be really clear about what the Bible says here. The first comes from Galatians chapter 3. It's talking about the promises God made to Abraham, and it says this Galatians 3:16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. So the Apostle Paul says all of the blessings made to Abraham flowed through this family, but they flowed narrow and narrow to one ethnic Jewish person. His name was Jesus. He was the Christ. And and it gets all the way narrowed down that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises to Abraham. So it gets very narrow. But in Christ... Not only does it get narrow, but then it goes wide again. Uh, Galatians 3, further down in verse 26, it says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have, been, have clothed yourself with Christ, and there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Here's our key verse, 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, Heirs according to the promise. So God's promises to Abraham are fulfilled in Christ. And if we are in Christ, then we are Abraham's descendants. Heirs. We are heirs of all of those promises. So the relevant question, so Sam Storm's a pastor, he puts it like this. The relevant question now isn't whose blood is in your veins, physically speaking, but whose faith is in your heart, spiritually speaking. That's the key. If we are in Christ, then we are part of Abraham's descendants, that we are heirs of his promises. That includes ethnic Jews, and that includes non-ethnic Jews, Gentiles, all one. Um, So that's the thing that matters, is if you are in Christ by faith, that's who inherits the blessings. Okay, 
One more long passage and a bunch of other short ones. You with me? Ephesians chapter 2. Here we go. Just hear, just hear how this is described. It says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, again, non-Jews, you who are Gentiles by birth, called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise. So this is clear. At one time, you were not part of these covenant promises. The promises to Abraham were not your promises. Um, Without hope and without God in the world. But now, verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Hear this. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. What Jesus was doing was creating one people group out of the two, thus making peace and in the body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Verse 19, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. The point here is that God has, his whole point in Jesus was to make one people, one humanity. They are the, the true Israel of God. It's, it's um, Jews and Gentiles, both equal heirs together. So the church is the true Israel, which includes believing Jews and believing Gentiles. The church doesn't replace Israel The church is, Gentiles are included with Israel, and we call that the church. The church is Israel. It's it's not replacing, it's including Gentile believers in with Jewish believers. So the promises that were made to Abraham way back in Genesis are not fulfilled by some separate nation of ethnic Jews. The promises are, are for... All of those promises are focused on Jesus and those who are in Jesus. The the promises are fulfilled in the church, which, again, includes Jews and non-Jews. That's that's who inherits the the blessings. So what about the land? Who gets the land? Because that's kind of the question, right? So we have to get there. Okay, who gets the land? For this, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Consider this. By faith, Abraham when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. They lived in this promised land, but he lived there as a, as a wanderer, as a foreigner. And then Isaac and Jacob, they lived in tents. They never really fully lived there. And God's people lived in this land at different times, and they were displaced from the land and in the land. But 
it says Abraham wasn't looking forward to that land. He was looking forward to a land whose architect and builder is God. He's not looking for Jerusalem. He's looking at the new Jerusalem, that this promise of land will be, filled, will be fulfilled in the new heavens, in the new earth, the new Jerusalem. That's the ultimate promised land. And that is where, and so he never, Abraham never really lived there, but he will one day. And so will you. If you are in Christ, because you are an heir of the promise with him to be in that land, the new Jerusalem, when, when Christ returns. And if anyone is in Christ, they are part of that inheritance. And if anyone is not in Christ, they are not heirs of those promises made to Abraham, including the promise of land. Even if it, even we're talking about the literal land, like in the Old Testament, it's really only those who are in Christ are heirs of that promise. So where does that lead us? Where does that leave us? What? So here's my personal opinion I'm giving you now. Okay? Those are all the scriptures. My personal opinion is that the nation state of Israel, as we know it today, I believe that Israel has a right to exist and exist in this region, in these lands, and that that right should be defended. Now, where we draw the lines on that, I don't. I'm not going to go there. Um, but they have a right to be there. But that's not the same thing as saying that they have a biblical right or a covenantal right from God. I, I see it more as a human right to exist and to flourish as a nation. Uh, so not because God says so, but because they have a right to exist. Um, secondly, I'll say that I believe that Christians, especially I think people everywhere, but I think Christians in particular, should stand against terrorism and genocidal attacks and genocidal ideologies against Israel. So again, I believe Israel has every right to exist as a nation and to flourish as a nation, um, and I pray that we would stand firm against any genocidal attacks. I pray that we would stand firm against genocidal attacks against any people group, any type of ethnic cleansing, that kind of thing. We, we stand against that. Now, that doesn't mean that everything Israel does or has done is good or right. It's okay to criticize the nation of Israel when they do things wrong. Thirdly, I, I believe that the reality of war is terrible. So Israel, the modern nation state of Israel is at war. Um, often it's innocent people who bear the, the worst brunt of the suffering of these types of conflicts. So when there is human anguish and human death, um, we, can't just, we don't just dismiss that because every human life is sacred, created in the image of God. And so we lament the loss of all human life. Even if killing is justified, we lament the loss of life because life is sacred. So I don't have a, <laughs> I don't have a good transition back, but... If, if we're following here, that Jesus is offering this amazing freedom, and it comes through our connection to him and the truth of his good news. It does not just come from an ethnic identity. That blessing does not just flow because you know, you're a blood descendant of Abraham. But the freedom does come from Abraham in the sense that Abraham had faith. Verse, back to our John chapter 8 text. Verse 39, they, you know, they say, Abraham's our father. They, they answered, and Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did, that you would be a person of faith like Abraham. So how was Abraham a person of faith? First of all, 
Abraham trusted God's word. Galatians 3 says, Consider Abraham, he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those that believe are children of Abraham. Verse 9, So those that have faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. That we are people of faith in God's word. That's why we spend so much time in the scripture. We preach the scripture. We gather in small groups to study the scriptures and to encourage one another according to the scriptures because we, we are people of faith. We trust God's word just like Abraham did. Secondly, his faith wasn't just in his mind, but his faith was expressed in action. Hebrews eleven seventeen says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. That's a whole other story, but the idea is that Abraham's faith played out in action. Um, that And for us, our faith, there's no spectators in this church. That's not what this is about. If you came here just to watch, and that's not what we are. We are a people of faith that we live it out in action. And just like the descendants of, of Abraham, Israel, was to be a blessing to the world, we believe that too, that we are to leave this place and to go and to bless our world, that we live it out by loving and serving wherever God places us to bless our world. And lastly, that this same faith of Abraham fostered a deep and abiding relationship with God. James chapter 2, check this one out. You see that Abraham's faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled, saying that Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. That living out faith like this connects us to God in such a way that we can call the God of the universe our friend. Because he's with us, he guides us. He empowers us to be his people. Not just a name I wear. I identify myself as a Christian. It's not, a, it's not about a label. It's about an experience of the God of the universe, a friendship with God. We believe in a God who is active in this world. God is doing stuff in us and through us. And it's, this, it's not just ideas. It's not just a moral system. It's an interaction with the God of the universe. And we can know that and we can experience that. So what do we do with this? Two things. One, for our world. Um, we need to pray. We need to pray for Israel. Romans ten one. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. That they need Jesus. That all who are in Christ are heirs of the promise, and we we want that for them. But we also pray for Palestinian people that they might come to know Jesus. We pray for Christians in that region, for Gazan Christians. And I'm hearing these stories of these missionaries who there are believers in Jesus in these regions, and we pray that their work and their witness would bring others to faith in Jesus Christ who could truly bring freedom and bring peace. So we pray for our world. For you, though, individually, you need to ask yourself, do you feel that you need this freedom that Jesus is offering? We all need it. To be truly free from sin, to be truly free from just trying to please other people, to find our identity and our freedom in him, and we put our faith in Jesus. And as we do, we become heirs. We become recipients of all of his promises to make us a truly free people. Let us pray. Father, I pray that we would know your truth, that your truth would truly bring freedom as you free us from our sin, as you free us from ourselves, as you free us to be a people who truly can be agents of peace and blessing in our world. May it be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.